Let's begin. As usual, this is part three. We are being rather ambitious. And I'm also standing today because standing. Um, we're going to be rather ambitious here. So if it is going to be a little faster than usual, there, almost every source is in English. And we are not going to touch every source. So if that gets you excited that we're not doing all 1,000 sources here, good. If you're upset, I'm sorry. Hopefully one day we can revisit this and break it down and to make it many, many more sure. What I hope to do today is to give a little bit of a background to the evolution of the sitter. How did the sitter develop? How did we get from whatever original, let's say, sitter there was to the present day, brand new, beautiful RCA sitter? There are so many new sitter, by the way. All right, it's good for Claude Israel. Um, how did we get this? So the first source, this is, make sure you, this is to make sure you all stay up, it's actually on the second page. Ravarin Lapiansky, who's a Rebbe, a Rosh Hashiva in Silver Spring, he wrote an article called The Endless Dimensions of the Sitter. And basically what he one day decided was he wanted to write the perfect, authentic sitter. There were all sorts of traditions out there between Svardi, Ashkenazi, the, what the Chabad does, what Ashkenazi does. There's so many different traditions out there. Well, what's the authentic tradition? So his, he had in mind a quest to go make the perfect sitter. Because he said, oftentimes if you were to ask someone, where did our sitter come from? How did it develop? So you said, you ask a kid, a kid will say, well, we, I heard that the Acha Knesset Sakadola, there was a body of 120 people many, many years ago, and they wrote the sitter, and all that was left essentially is each and every, each and every publishing house comes along and they'll decide what color to put on the front, maybe the English translation, but the sitter on whole from Matovo in the morning, all the way to at the end of Elenu, that was formulated and written by the Atchek Knesset Sagadola. And Rebbe Biyansky said that's not true at all. That in a way, our Jewish history and the major developments through our Jewish history are reflected in the way the Siddur developed, which is a very interesting way to actually learn Jewish history. And we're gonna see some of that tonight. So my hope is by you going on this journey, just going back to the very beginning, the origins of the sitter, and working our way down till now, we can A, get a sense of how the sitter developed, but more importantly, where, what are the more important parts and what are the less important parts of the sitter, which will help us in the event that we ever, God forbid, God forbid, come late to davening, nothing that's ever happened here in Ache Chesed. You know, they say, they say in a Yeki Shul, the doors are extra wide because everyone shows up at the same time. And, uh, and, then we're going to quickly start to go through a little bit of the, if we have time, some of the tefillos we say every day to just, again, get a sense of what they are, why we say them, and in the event that we have to triage. Because we live busy lives, because whatever it may be, what can be skipped, what should not be skipped. Um, and one last note, and this is again from Lepiansky, this is on the, if you see it's, what is the sitter? This paragraph over here, second paragraph. After many years of work investing to preparing a sitter as accurate as I can make it, the first edition is called Madonna uh, Usher, subsequent editions were called Elios Elio, I have the sitter at home. So he said he spent many, many years trying to find the perfect sitter. I realized that the completely accurate sitter was a chimera. The sitter possessed so many overwhelmingly different dimensions that it is only possible to approach complete accuracy, never to reach it. The makeup of the sitter has innumerable contributions by every segment of Torah giants generations in every area of Jewish thought, halacha, mesores, kabbalah, piyot, grammar theories, numerology, customs, and interpretations. All these have left their impact on the Jewish prayer book. 
Not only is the Jewish people's collective heart incorporated in its prayers, but its collective mind as well. It is impossible to determine which among all these contributions leads to the most accurate editions of the Siddur. Says Rebbe Lubyansky, it's a chimera, it's an illusion. One cannot actually make a perfect Siddur because there are so many different traditions. And over the last 2,000 plus years, 2,500 years, there have been so many different additions and not even additions, more than that. It's been built upon and developed and therefore we cannot come to the perfect sitter, but we can at least try. So, first source. First source is going to be, what's gonna go into the sitter? And the question we have to ask ourselves is, well, why do we daven? Why are we davening? Why do we daven? Any? Be close to Hashem. So the, the, we are from Yaakov Davin, so we're pattering after the, the Karbanos or the or the Avos, two different ideas we mentioned a couple weeks ago in Drasha. Das? We don't do so we don't do Karbanos, that's gonna come back to us. Any other Why do we Davin? I think these are these are all good answers. And they're all gonna come back to play. We're, we're gonna touch touch upon everything. So the even before that we're gonna ask the following. Are we commanded to Davin? And we daven three times a day, but are we commanded to daven? Does it say anywhere in the Torah, thou shalt daven three times a day, followed by a kiddush on Shabbos? No. What about the Shema? Well, we'll get there in a second. It's not in the Torah, says Jerry. The only bracha is birchas amazel. The only bracha is which is davening or something else? Questionable. Questionable. Good, good. So, in fact, as everything in Judaism... It is a machlokas, a debate. Is davening mandated biblically or is it not? The Sifri, the Sifri is one of the works found in the days of the Talmud, says as follows. This is the very first source, source number one, the only source that got a number. I don't know what happened. Something happened when I, tr I moved everything from Microsoft Word to Google, Google Docs and it messed all the, uh, everything up and I printed it, but I decided to save the trees save the Amazon and not reprint and rather make all of you stay awake and do a little bit of flipping back and forth. Next time we won't do this. Okay, the Sifri says as follows. Ula'avdo, you should serve God. Avodo, zu tzvilo. Ata omer zu tzvilo, o ene ala avodo. One can say as follows. What does it mean to serve God, avodo? It could mean tzvila, to pray, or it could mean avoda in the classic sense of service in the temple, the karbonus. So is avodah tzvila or is it karbonos? Says Talmud Lomar, bechol levavchem uvechol nafshechem. Bechayesh avodah belev. Can you serve God in the temple with your heart? No. Temple's very concrete. It's you're sacrificing. You need a knife. You need an animal. It's a concrete worship. It's it's a ritual. How do you serve God in your heart? Must be Talmud Lomar ulavdo zu tzvila. The Torah says ulavdo, and that is the source that tzvila is the oraisa. That tefillah is the Orisa. Interestingly, by the way, we say that I'll show On three things the world stands. Tefillah, Torah, Tefillah, Ugmilas Chasada. Right? So we've all heard this many times. It makes a lot of sense. Torah, you learn Torah, very important. Tefillah, Avodah is Tefillah, Yudavin. Ugmilas Chasada means you do kind deeds. I believe, I saw this years ago, I couldn't find it when I looked for it today. There's a Pirkei de Rebbe Eliezer, which is a smaller Masechta. It's not an actual Masechta in Shas, but it's a collection of Brises and other, other 
interesting saying. It's kind of like a, 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 um, a longer version of Pirkei Avos, who says, what, what are these three things? Torah is Torah learning. Avoda is the service in the temple. Ugmilas chasadim zu tefillah. That gmilas chasadim, acts of kindness is tefillah, is praying. When I think that's very telling about what the nature of tefillah, what do we do when we pray? It's more than just praying for ourselves or praying for others. Praying for the world. And that is an act of service of kindness to others. Okay. Says the Rambam. Right? So the Rambam therefore says, we have this, this drasha. We learn out avoda zu tefillah. Mitzvahs asay lezpalel bechol yom, source number two. There's a positive commandment to daven every single day. Shenemar vavatim es Hashem alukeichem. We serve Hashem, our God. And our sages teach us Again, you may have thought Avodah was service in the temple. No, this is Tefillah. And this is very important. What does it mean that Tefillah is biblically mandated? Prayer is biblically mandated. It means prayer. Not the amount of times you pray. Three times a day, not in the Torah. Maybe we pattern it after the Arab Mitzvah and Yaakov, but not in the Torah. They mish the tefillah zos min the Torah. They tefillah zman kavua min the Torah. The formulation of the prayers is not mida araisa, and the zmanim, the fact that every day we have set times, you pray in the morning, you pray Arab Revokim, but Tzaharayim, you pray three times a day, and that's not found in the Torah. There's a command to pray once a day, seemingly. And anything else is going to be rabbinic. Anything else is going to be rabbinic. What does that mean? What is the most important thing we can pull out of that? If there's no, it's not time bound. What, what does that tell us about the nature of tefillah and the chiv of tefillah? That women are also chayiv. Right? We, we know that if, if, uh, women are not chayiv in the mitzvah sashashash mangram. Any mitzvah is time bound. Except for? Any mitzvah is not time-bound. We'll leave that. Any mitzvah is not time-bound. There are many, many, many exceptions. But any mitzvah that's not time-bound, a woman, is, excuse me, it is time-bound, a woman is exempt from. Once we establish that tefillah is once a day, and it's not bound by time, it's not once in the morning, once in the afternoon, once in the night, but rather any time throughout the day, so now a woman is going to be chayiv in tefillah. Very, very, very crucial and important. Ulafichach, and therefore the Ram says it straight up. Nashim ve'avadim chayavin b'tfilah. Women and slaves are chayav in tfilah. L'fishu mitzvah t'asei she'lo asman grama. Elo. What, and now this is important. What is the chayav exactly? Ha'chayav mitzvah zu kachi. She'adim eschanin m'spal b'chol yom. U'magid she'chaso sh'al kadosh baruch hu v'atak sh'ol tzarcha. And this is very crucial. What does it mean therefore tfilah? If we don't have... No, saying Baruch Shalmar, saying uh, Shmonesri, that's not biblically mandated. So what are we going to do? Every day you should, you praise God. You then ask God for one of your needs. And afterwards, you then go further and you say, No saying Shevach v'hodoya, la'ashem al-tova, she'shpiyah Followed by asking God for your needs, you then praise Hashem and say thank you. And therefore, and then you, according to the amount or what you're able to do. So again, the Rambam says tefillah is doraisa. There's no set time. There's no set formulation what you say. There's no amount. And therefore, on top of that, what is tefillah? You pray by praising God, asking God for needs, and then saying modim. Which, by the way, our Shemona is patterned after that, right? We start off, Hashem, God is great. 
Then we say, God, please give us whatever it may be. And we conclude with, The Rav pointed out something fascinating. Why do you think it's so important we ask God for our needs? Praise God. God wants praise. Say, God, you're great. God, thank you for all you've done for me. Why is it so integral and important? And the Rav said further than that, Rav Chaim thought, Rav Chaim thought that actually this was the Arisa to ask Hashem for your needs. Build a relationship. So he says it's more than that. Says the rough that part of yeah. And therefore. So uh, part of that opening up, that saying, "This is what I want. This is what I need. This is what's going on in my life," is for yourself. So I'll flesh out what you're saying. I think it's what you're saying. It's kind of what the Rav was saying. That's as follows. The Rav says, a lot of what tefillah is, is us basically coming before Hashem and saying, Without you, God, I have nothing. That my whole life, everything I have is totally contingent upon you. And he says it becomes a cycle. That tefillah engenders this crisis awareness, a recognition that we are really be totally beholden to Hashem. And we need to therefore pray and say, Hashem, please save me. Please help me. Please give me health. Please give me pranasa, for money. Please give me whatever it may be. It engenders a crisis awareness. And then when you do that, you come to recognition that everything's from Hashem. And when you recognize everything's from Hashem, that also then engenders again the crisis awareness of, wait, I need you. And it's a, it's, it becomes a cycle of, God, I need you because I have nothing. I have nothing and therefore I need you. And back and forth. So therefore the Rav thought it's so important because tefillah is more than just praising God, but also our recognition, how much we need Hashem in our lives. It says, so that's the Ramah. The Ramah says, Woman are chayev, and this is the way you do it. Comes along the Ramban, Nachmanides. And this is what he says. It starts out on top. I'm sorry, it's kind of split. If you look in source number one on bottom. He says, Vadai. The idea that one must pray every day, that is not a chiyav at all. And he says as follows. Tefillah is there. It's an option. You want to live life and never pray? That's on you. There's no Torah. The Torah, the Bible never commands us to pray. But just know you're losing out. Because one of the great chasadim, one of the great kindnesses that God grants us, is he, little puny us, are, us we're, we're nothing. You would think the infinite God, what does he care about us? The infinite God, what does he care what we want or need? Says the Ramban, one of the great chasadim, one of the great acts of kindness that God does for humanity, is he listens to our prayers. And he responds to our prayers. He's there wanting us to pray so that he can respond. So if you want to take advantage of this amazing gift, pray. Do you have to? No. If you don't pray, do you do something wrong from a technically legal perspective of what the Bible commands? No. But you're losing out, says the Ramban. Ah, but one minute, we had a minute ago, we had a verse. The Apostle says, serve God. So Ramban says, oh, that's what we call nesmachta. That sometimes, I guess in the simplest way to look at it, this could be another share in and of itself, sometimes Chazal would enact a decree and they were concerned people would not remember it. So when, you know what they did? They chose a certain pasuk in the Torah, 
And they say, this Pasuk, whenever you read it, not only are you going to remember what the Torah has in mind, but you'll also remember that we enacted something based off this Pasuk. That's what the Ramban says. And then he adds, off, he adds one more very important piece, and Tosfos agrees with this as well. He says, and he says as follows. There may be, according to Ramban, only one time when we have a biblically, when we are biblically commanded to pray, and that is tzara. That if you are in a moment of, of, of tzara, of great need, a moment when things are, not, are really not going well, a moment of calamity, then you have an obligation to pray. Because then when you're in the foxhole, so who are you going to turn to? Torah says you must turn to Hashem. You must pray then. Regularly on a day-to-day, if you want to pray, take advantage. You don't want to pray, that's on you. You're losing out. But, again, this is all on the derisive level. On the, on the rabbinic level, there's obviously commands. But when you're in a moment of crisis, then you must pray. But Salvechik also pointed out, again, whether he meant this on, a, on the level of drush, homiletically, or he meant this actually, we can, we can talk about, but he pointed out he thinks that the Ramban and Rambam, the Ramban who says there's a biblical commandment to pray, and the Ramban who says the biblical commandment only exists in a time of crisis, they're not really arguing with each other. He wants to say as follows, that even the Rambam thought the command to pray is only when you're in a moment of crisis. However, the Rambam looked at life and said every moment of our life, we are in the hands of God. Every moment of our life, we are saying, Before you, God, I have nothing. And therefore, every moment, in a way, is a moment of crisis, and that's where we have to dominate. So it's a nice idea, it's something to think about. So where does that leave us? Where does that leave us? How much time do we have? Okay, so we said the, the, the first part of the sitter is going, is going to be a command to dominate. The command is going to be either on a level of the, of the Torah, biblically, the Rambam says, once a day, say something, seemingly a little, a little bit of praise, a little bit of... of of asking and a little bit more praise, a little thanks. And the Rambana says, no, it's all the Rabbana. What's going to happen, however, is that there's going to be a bit of a, a flip here. And that's it. Once we say, and the Mishnah Brewer is going to point this out, where does, once we say that the Ramban says it's the Rabbanon, what's going to end up happening is that it's all the Rabbanon. And if it's all the Rabbanon, so then, so then every, whoever's Chayav it, it's going to be Chayav in everything. So watch this. This is what he says. The Mishnah in Baruch says, Noshim, I think this is, again, one of the important things that's going to emerge from this debate is going to be the role of women and what, what they must pray. The Mishnah says, Noshim paturmi kreishma, a woman is putter from saying kreishma, umenatfilin, vechayovin betfila umezuzah ubirchasamazin. A woman must pray every single day, says the Mishnah in Baruch Yerushalmi Yerusha, points out, why must they pray every day? He says, vechayovin betfila kadesh yuhi kol echa vechem levakesh rachem alatzma. So they should ask, they should be able to ask Rachman themselves, they should ask for God's mercy, which I think is a very interesting idea. This is actually what Moshe Feinstein points out in Chuba. Moshe Feinstein was asked, non-Jews have seven commands. Do the, does a non-Jew, must they pray? Is that included in the seven commands? So anyone who knows the Pesukim says, no, that's not one of the seven mitzvahs in Noah, the seven Noahide laws. Or Moshe says, that's not true, it is. Because what's the first of the Noahide commandments? Anochi Hashem. God is one, you believe in God. Well, if you believe in God, of course you're going to pray, says Moshe. If you believe in God, how could you not pray? And therefore, he says, even non-Jews have a chiyav to pray. But it's still what do you say? But is, wouldn't it be still Abanan at that point? Well, I think what he, the Ramosha is driving at it. There's a, the Ramban probably would not disagree. That there's a certain, 
There's a certain, uh, like, how can you not? If you believe in Hashem, you, and you recognize the lives we live are one of total dependence on God, so of course you're going to pray. Of course you're going to want to thank Hashem. Okay, moving forward, just for lack of time, says the Shulchan Aruch, just like the Mishnah says, women are potter from Krishma, but the Chayav and Tvilah. Why? Because it's a mitzvah, because it's not time bound. The Mishnah points out as follows. Say it outside. He says, according to the Rambam, that it's only the Orisa, so that it's Deraisa, and the Deraisa is only to pray once a day, says the Magan Avram, therefore, if biblically, it's only once a day, so a woman, all she has to do is once a day turn to God and say, thank you, God, and that's good enough. Like, see, inside on the on page, top of page number two. Because of Magan Avram, she'af al pisvarazut, it's according to this svar, this, this logic, that it's once a day, that this is why he's substantiating essentially the middle, the custom, that most women, they, would all, they wouldn't dive in the Yudches Shmones, uh, right? Rather, they'd say, They'd say whatever it is, thank you Hashem, and then they're good, they're part of the rest of the day. Because they weren't mechayev, they weren't commanded more than that. That's what, that's what the Mishnah says. I happen to be, if you were to ask me, with all, no, obviously, I'm not going to argue with the Magad Avram, but once you say a, there's a biblical command that women are chayavin, so whatever the sages add on to that, you'd assume they also make the woman chayavin that as well. No? You don't think so, Erica? Of course it is. Think of any mitzvah that a woman is high. We don't say you fulfill it on the strictest level of the rice. We say fill it on whatever the rice. We assume whatever chazal we're talking based off that, the woman is high on that too. Arbicosos. You know, whatever the abundance there, we're going to say as well. No? I would think so. The mother of Rome doesn't seem to think so, but I would think so, and I think it's a little problematic. So if you would ask me, it's a, little, it's a little hard. More than that, says the Mishnah according to the Ramban, once the Ramban says it's older abundant, and that, for sure, for sure, Chazal said, we enacted this, now this is what you do, so a woman will be chayiv to pray, says the, says the Mishnah twice a day. Why? Shafras not mincha, because that's, that's, the, that's seemingly the Durbanan. The fact we have a marav, tefilis marav, it's called rishos. That's only, it's not, it's optional, it's not obligatory. We spoke about this, Parshas Vayetze, I believe. And the Mishnah says, however, Claudius so accepted upon themselves the middle, the custom, to daven marav, but the woman never accepted upon themselves. And therefore, what emerges in this Mishnah is a woman should daven, at least shoppers and mincha, whatever that may be. Good? Or we hold it here? Any questions, comments, observations? But that would already be uh, um, time bad. But that Chazal said that they're chayv in time-based mitzvah, the way this chayv in Arbacosis. Chazal can decide that you take a time-bound mitzvah and say we're chayv in it. That's not a problem. It happens all the time. Are you saying that women should do that twice a day? Yeah. If they can, we'll get there. The Mughan of Ram does, and the Mughan of Ram, again, was one of the weighty, weighty halakha decisors. So the Mughan of Ram says something, generally, we take it into account. The Mughan of Ram does say a woman does not have to, but if a woman has the time, they're, they should. They really should. Okay, where does that leave us? By the way, the Arthur Shulchan says a woman should have a marv also. Well, we're not going to get into that because that's 
he's maybe that's your figure. Okay, so where does that leave us? That leaves us, we have a sitter now. Sitter, we're, we're in the year, let's say, you know, the year, I don't know, 500, uh, what is it? It's about uh, 350, we're at 350 uh, C. 350 CE, we have a sitter, and we know we're, we're supposed to write the sitter, and on the sitter is going to be something, right? Something. What is that something going to be? So the first thing that's going to enter in the sitter is the Anshikanes Segedoli. Anshikanes Segedoli, they lived in around the year 350 to 250. They were the Besden of Ezra. One of the great, one of the people on that Besden was in fact Mordechai, or from the famed Purim story. They were metaking Shmona Esrei. The Gemara Megillah says, Shmona Esrei, the 18 brachos, those were written by the Anshikanes Segedoli. As well as seemingly various other brachos that are found in the Gemara. Also in the times of the Gemara, we find lots of personal tzvilos, personal tzvilos of the various Tanaim that make it into our Siddur as well. One of them being the, the uh, what's it called? The Yehi we say on Birchas HaChodesh. This is actually very interesting. I found this a couple years ago. We say this Yehi Ratzon. Second here. That's... We are familiar with this. We end off. We end off. There are some who actually in the middle say, Who is Rav? Rav was one of the great Amoras. He initiated this Tfilah. So we find those sort of Tfilahs that he wrote. And we say at the end of Brachos in the morning, the Tfilah Saderech. These are things found that some of them were personal prayers, some of them were more broader prayers, and those made it to the sitter. So that is the first, the first step. The next step of the sitter are the piyutim. Piyutim are, anyone familiar with piyutim? Piyutim are essentially, they're poetry. There are these poems, and often you can tell them, there are many times they're acrostic, meaning Aleph through Tuf, and they're in the sitter, and they're found, actually, really, you, throughout Davidus, sometimes we don't even realize something's a piyut. A piyut, essentially, as the Shiva Leka points out, it's a way for someone to use you know, a, more, a more emotional, aesthetic poetry to evoke certain emotions. It's a way of really personalizing or making the prayer more tangible and more, and more emotional. So they put poetry inside, and we say all the time. Keladon, for instance, that's a piyot. In Shmon Esri, on Musaf, on Shabbos, Tikanta Shabbos, by the way, it's a backwards acrostic, Tikanta Shabbos, a Ritzisa, that's also piyot. Piyot shows up all throughout davening, and that's the next, that really started with, they say the first python was Yanai, who lived in times of Tanoim, but it flourished mainly in the Middle Ages. Um, one of the Python, the greatest of Python, was a Rileza Kalir, who the Mechkarim, uh, the, the academics, and the, I guess, the more traditional approach, there's a bit of debate when he actually lived. He wrote Piyutim, he wrote Kinos. A lot of the Piyutim we say during Hazar Sashats on, on Shoshana and Yom Kippur come from him. A lot of the ones we skip also come from him. If you go to Stern Shul, they still say them. I feel bad for the congregants. No, I'm joking. We love, we love Dominic. So that's Piyot. It happens to be. Piyot, you would think, you know, it's the more emotional, it's more of the spiritual, but in fact, the early Paitanim were also Arishonim. They were the great halachasis. And there are times when we will derive halachas from the Piyot itself. I brought one example. It's not against the actual case, but Rabbi Yosef Tuvelin, I removed the smicha if you saw from the page. It wasn't personal. I just forgot to write rabbi. Um, so Rabbi Yosef Tuvelin, he has a Piyot for Erev Shabbos, Shabbos Agadol, sorry, Shabbos Agadol of Erev Pesach. It's a long piyot, it's a poem, going through the order of the day, culminating in the Seder. It's a poetry, it's beautiful, it rhymes, very nice. But more than it just being spiritual, it's also halachic. 
In fact, Tosfos, I have right here. If you look, it's like a little more than halfway through Tosfos. Bechem Yisod Harav Yosef Besiduroi Moshe Hakara Shnei Tavshilin. Tosfos quotes this pia to say, I can now figure out what the halach is based on what he wrote in the pia, based on what he wrote in poetry. So pia is more than just really nice and beautiful to you know evoke certain emotions. This is wonderful. Shira Besishbachos, but it's also halachic. In fact, the Rav, I think, took this another level. We spoke with this one Friday night. The Rav said, oftentimes we find piyutim that they are responsive. Think, of, think on um, Rosh Hashanah. We say, Melech Elyam, right? That piyut. Where the Chazan says it, then we say it. And the Rav says, why are we saying responsively? Because we're trying to mimic, we're trying to mimic Kedusha. Where the Chazan says, you know, no, Karazel Zaviyamar, and the congregation responds, Kadosh, Kadosh, and he says, Udrekash, Kadosh, Lemar, it's responsive, which is Kadusha. Darvish Kadusha, you need a minion. Says the Rav Piyut is the same way. Some Piyutim have a din of Darvish Kadusha you can only say in a minion. So this is not just nice poetry, but it actually has some halachic bearing. So that is, that is what a Piyut is. And if you look, I have from Rabbi Yansky at the bottom of that, he says, with the introduction of Piyutim, the sitter now has the additions of Slichos, Kinos, Hoshanas and Yotzos, all these are piyotim. All of these are piyotim. The next stage, which I didn't put in writing here, is Hasidi Ashkenaz. Hasidi Ashkenaz were an interesting group of people, Yuda Hasid being one of the major players, and they instituted a lot of minhagim, you know, customs of piety. Some of them made it into Shulchan some of them didn't make it into Shulchan what, what exactly their community looked like, that's interesting, the scholars debate. They had, they tried to bring in a lot of early Kabbalah into, into the Siddur. A lot of the stuff they introduced, though, didn't really make it into our Siddur, but they definitely left an imprint on the Siddur. Next comes the 14th and 15th century, and that laid the groundwork for what we call Minak Ashkenaz. There was a man by the name of Maharil, and his Talmud Revile, and he basically went around and collected all the Minhagim and started putting it into the Siddur. And that's the early Siddurim, the Minaga Ashkenaz, that's where it's called coming from, we thanks to the Maharil. If you look in, I quote the Shulchan Aruch, this is in Hilfus Yom Kippurim. Al Yishana Adam in Minaga Ir. A person should not switch or change from the Minaga of the city. Don't remove Piyotim, okay? And don't change the Nigunim. You have a certain Nigun, you always say, don't change it. Um, and that's because from the Maharil. Maharil actually made a Cheyrim. Maharil went around and said, you have to recognize two reasons. One is he said that people are apparently introducing non-Jewish music, uh, whatever it may be, from the churches into Jew in, into the liturgy, and you know whatever it is, Naritzlav and Kodesh just doesn't have you know it's not exactly so touristic to do jingle bells to uh, kedusha. So he he didn't like that. More than that, he wanted to say that there are certain there's a misora to the tunes we use. And the, there's a Mesorah to the, to the Nigunim and the, and the Nusuch that we use that cannot be changed. And he made a list of many, many of these tunes and said one is forbidden from changing them. And some of them are, again, because he wanted, there was, you know, the alien, if we call it, tunes that made it inside. Some of them, he said this, you know, the Rav said, Kol Nidre, the tune of Kol Nidre, that is found everywhere because he thinks perhaps it came from the Beis Amikdash itself. The Levine, that's the Levine sung that tune. Um, but also, sometimes we don't realize that the tunes and Nusach was there to also evoke certain emotions. On, on, and Musaf, for instance, of, on the Shalos Regalim. On Musaf and Shalos Regalim, so we talk about what's Musaf, the Karim Musaf, it's all about the Karim Musaf, right? It's about the Karbanos, it's about how we have to recognize that the world we live in now, and the way we celebrate Yontif, is only, we, we only have a, a fraction of what Yontif is supposed to be, right? Three times a year we're supposed to go to Arizona, 
and eat all we can eat. No, that's Bechatzil. Three times a year we're supposed to go to Eretz Yisrael if you can't afford to go to Arizona. And you go to the base of Migdash and you bring Karbonos. And that's all of Kalal Yisrael is there. It's a magnificent moment of, of spiritual rejuvenation. It's, and we don't have it. And so what we say, we say, because of our sins, we're sent out from our land. And in the middle of that, we start saying, That's the same tune from Echa. It's the same notes that we have in Echa. One's major, one's minor, something like that. I don't know music. So you have to ask a, someone, a chazin. I was, this, I was told this by a, a chazin. They'll know better than me exactly how that plays out. But again, if that's true, so then the, the nusach is not just something that randomly sprung up when we all do it, but actually has a deeper meaning. It's supposed to evoke a certain eicha-ness to us, sitting on Yantav with a recognition that we're not where we're supposed to be. So that's the, that was the maharil. If you look, Steinzelt says, um, he, the maharil, traveled from one community to another, reestablishing the traditional prayer melodies, by virtue of his great authority, the Maharil succeeded in laying the foundations for the prayer rite accepted by all Ashkenazic communities. Okay, back into our plane. We're now going to travel about a century and a half to Tzvas. Tzvas becomes the center of what is Kabbalah, right? The, the Zohar is kind of brought to the, the forefront in the year about in the 1400s. And in Tzvah, we have a collection of people all who congregated around the Arizal. By the way, the Arizal wasn't Ashkenazi. People often associate that reason with Svardia, because, I don't know, Svardia tradition, more Kabbalah. He was actually Ashkenazi, he died very young. So these people congregated around that reason who introduced this whole new world of Kabbalah to the people. And in Svardia, and this is all a quote from Rebbe Bianski, the leading Kabbalist was that reason whose main teachings were compiled by a student of Chaim Vital. His various teachings include two works concerning prayer, Kriyetz Chaim and Shar Kavanos. These works explain the Kabbalistic meaning behind the prayers. The probate kavanas to be had during davening, and there is custom that Rizal kept while he davened. So that okay, very nice. But here's the imprint on our sitter. Now again, we're talking about 400 years ago. Besides these works, some of his disciples, and in turn their disciples, also composed prayers based on various understanding of the kabbalistic significance of certain days and events. Thus, the Kabbalah Shabbos prayers were first formulated by Rav Moshe Cordovero. Again, this is. Kabbalah Shabbos is very, very, very new, very recent. And Tikkuni Shabbos by Rav Bukhram, author of Shalom Aleichem. And the Rebona Olamim, and the originator of the reciting of Eishas Chai. On Friday night, L'Shem Yichel recited before every mitzvah. Yugim Omidos would open the ark on Yom Tov, right? When we say, on Yom Tov, we know we do Hashem, Hashem, Kerachom, Vechanon. Even that tune came from that. No, it's probably not. Um, all that, all that was... This is about the last you know, 400 years, Eshachal, etc. So in that, I would say that kind of concludes our sitter in terms of the, the way in which, uh, or the process of how it developed. Again, starting with Achikines Sagdola, formalizing prayer in terms of Bakasha, Shevach, Kaladol, Agiva, Nora, Bakasha, all the things we asked for, and ending in Modim. Then came along, then came along the Paitanim, who added, again, Slichos and and those sort of things. That was followed by, I'm trying to test my memory here, Sidi Ashkenaz, and then the Maharil, the Ashkenaz tradition, and concluded with the, the Arizal and his group who introduced the Kabbalistic teachings. And all that brings us to the conclusion of this year, because we're out of time, to 
what do we do now with prayer? How do we figure out which prayers are important, which prayers can, oh, they're all important, which ones are more important, which ones are less important? And I think what we're going to do is next week we're going to do this instead of the sheer on bugs because we are out of time. Questions, comments? Well, we, do, we do introduce new Nugunim sometimes. So is that a problem? So he, he, he formulated certain times when we can and certain times we can't, but it seems to be at this point, people just do it all the time. We want, there's an interesting article written by, I think it was Cantor, one of the Cantors from Bell School of Music who goes through a lot of this. I kept everyone up. So, uh, so I have a question, especially coming from a liberal Jewish background. Um, which prayers are more, um, like, I guess, um, you know, they can So we could, we could discuss that next week, um, but certainly, certainly anything that chazal, any bracha, you can't change a bracha, it's not a bracha. Right. So that, that can't be done. I mean, leaving aside agendas, we're not going to get into that. And then it's also, you know, who's adding it in. And then, I mean, I think agenda is important in the intentions of what it's added in, but a bracha cannot be changed. That's just right. the, the, the way in which it was formulated, and we don't add or change. You also have to be careful, see next week, and the, the Torah says, sorry, the chazal, the Mara, the Megillah says, that if you add on to the praises of God, you're, not, you're no longer praising God. That we were given special permission to say, God is great, also almighty God. If you add on to that, it's now you're starting to blaspheme God. And the reason for that is, why stop? Why stop? Uh, it's almost as if you, uh, you go to the king and say, King, you're such a wonderful, imagine that you go to the king of the world. You're the most magnificent king, you, you made a tree. Yeah, I also made that tree, I made a forest, I made a, I made a, I made a continent. Why are you stopping? So, the Gemara is basically telling us that what we say is very prescribed because we have to be careful about that. So that's the question. Is it so brachot obviously, but then like can few can be changed? Can the you know like which of these things in the sitter can be changed and which cannot? So I, I can look more into it you know, to figure exactly because it is kind of funny. We add piyutim into and it happens to be like there are significant authorities in the Middle Ages who were very against piyutim. The Bebenez was against piyutim. He said like you butcher all the grammar. Right, part of the reason slichos is so hard is because it's words we never encounter because some of them are made up. It's your poetic license in order to create the piyutim. So he was very upset about that. In fact, I believe he made a parody piyut using all the broken, broken grammar and the messed up grammar to say, "Look like this, is what you sound like." And there were others who, who said a, a piyut is it's how can you put a piyut in the middle of Shmon Esrei? How can you put it in the middle of Birchas Krishma? Right, it's, it's a, with a problem of talking. It's, so there were they're both sides of the debate there. I'm not, I'm not sure of that. Yeah. Sometimes I send down to the Yomit and they funk around and mess up the bracha. And she see what I mean? They mess up the bracha. So that's, that's again, that, I mean, it's, it's related, but that, that's, that's a more sensitive topic. There's a, there's like a social implication, you're saying? Of course. Of course. Okay. Let everyone into the daven now. All righty.